Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Um, but we are nearly ready to wrap up the series builders. It's kind of been a fun time uh, to study and preach through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, there's going to be one more installment, even though today I'm preaching out of the last chapter, chapter 13 of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, the title of the message today is Take Out the Trash. I should have had the music cue, I guess. That would have been kind of good, hey? Take out the papers and the trash. You know that one? Um, and this might be a little bit delicate for some people this morning, honestly. It, it, might, it might trigger you a little bit. And as you know, I don't care about triggering people very much. Um, if you don't, you know, uh, you probably wouldn't understand the gun analogy I want to use anyway, so I'm going to skip that today. Um, but let me, let me help you understand this. When we talk, especially in the Old Testament realities of Scripture, you know, we, we aren't living under the same uh, patriarchal religious system that the, that the ancient Hebrews lived under. Jesus changed that, as we talked about briefly in communion this morning. But that doesn't mean that the Old Testament still isn't of tremendous value because really what the Old Testament does all the time is it frames the gospel and it frames the way for Jesus to come. And so it's always really important. But beyond that even, there's actually always going to be principles in the Old Testament that if you can take the principle and adapt it to the new life we have in Christ, what you'll find is a recipe for life, a recipe for success. And so this morning I want to talk about uh, uh, talk about uh, kind of something that to me is it's weird. It's kind of weird that it ends up in this place. But then as I studied it out, I was like, no, nah, this is actually a lot of us as human beings. The tenants, we have this tendency to do this. And again, this is where you understand the principle. Principally, the Israelites always played the harlot. They were always cheating on God. You know, if it was a husband and wife scenario, they were always fooling around. They're always messing. They're in idolatry and adultery. And they're always... You know, they're always misbehaving, they're always dealing with sin, and they're never really staying true to, the, to the, perfect, the perfect call God had for their life. And sadly, not a lot of it has changed. Humanity is still humanity. Even after Jesus came, humanity is still humanity. And, um, and, 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 you know, and the Lord is waiting. The Father in heaven, the Bible actually says, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, talks about how when the whole world has finally heard the gospel, then the end's going to come, and we're still not quite there. You know, it's been a couple thousand years since Jesus just about here, and, and, or just over a couple thousand years, and we're still kind of waiting on that last part of the Great Commission to make sure everybody gets a chance to hear about Jesus. And, and, and so the principles that we draw from Old Testament and bring into New Testament life are vitally important. And there's principles all over the New Testament as well. Um, but I, I just need you, to, I need you to catch that. I want you to understand the title of the message today being Take Out the Trash. Trash, please understand, people are not trash. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying you should be throwing people out of your lives necessarily, although there's a conversation we can have about healthy boundaries that many of you need to have probably uh, with certain people in your life. That's okay. That can be for a, a different conversation for a different time. But people are not trash. Trash, but their behavior and some of the things they do are trash, okay? And some of the things they want to bring, and specifically, sometimes the spirit people come in is a really trashy kind of thing. And I don't mean like poorly dressed, short red skirt, too much makeup trashy. I mean, I mean it stinks like garbage, okay? 
Now, building anything will invite critics, and no, no kidding, I mean, the moment we announced Vision as a church to buy land, and there were certain criticisms that began to arise, and, and some, of them are, some of them are okay. There's criticism that is okay that comes along like a good friend who's willing to wound you so that you, so that you stay on course, and, and I'm not talking about that kind of critic. I'm talking about the kind of critic that really just sets, that just sets themselves up against what God is doing. Those, that kind of a critic is not the faithful friend who will wound you. That kind of critic is not the person who has your best interests at heart because their heart is actually not with you. They're actually setting themselves up against what God is doing in your life. And their actions can speak really loudly. And when it's all said and done, you have to put out that trash. And you've got to put the trash where the trash belongs. You need it mostly, you just need it out of the house, right? Any parents want to testify this morning? Okay, for real? Nobody? You're a bunch of liars or you're sound asleep already. Wake up. Um, how many of you in the last 48 hours have looked at the garbage can in your home and thought to yourself, why has no one taken this garbage out? Come on, every, hand, every eye closed, every head bowed, and every hand in the air. My house, we have two garbage cans built into our cabinetry, and it amazes me that I have four teenagers living in my house and a lovely wife, we never would do this, of course. But those garbage cans are pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And, and I will watch someone strategically try to stuff down just a little more and then place another piece of garbage on top. I mean, the, the drawer won't even close. It is filled to overflowing. It is, the season is up on the garbage can. But yet, there will be one more person who comes along and delicately says, it's just a bag of microwave, pop microwave popcorn, and it'll fit. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Take out the trash. Take it out. We, we need room in the house. And then my favorite part probably happens in your house too. Both the garbage bags come out, and where do they go? Directly outside? No, not a chance. They go on the floor right in front of where the garbage goes. And there they sit for a while until... Sunday morning at some point, dad's up, all finished, showered, ready to leave for church, and he looks, and here's these two garbage bags sitting right there on the kitchen floor. Take out the trash, please, for the love of all that is good and sacred in this world. Please take out the trash, uh, especially if you have a certain teenage son whose name starts with a J, but I'll never say his name. I want to embarrass him, who will do things like make tuna for lunch one day and then not rinse out the tuna can and put that in the garbage. Can I get a witness? Who loves coming home to the smell of day-old tuna? <laughs> well, one day, my son, you are going to be living on your own, and there will be no one else. And there will be no one else. Well, hopefully that's not too long. But anyways, um, take out the garbage, please. Someone take out the garbage. And I'm amazed that this actually happened in the day of Nehemiah. And some of you are going, when did this happen? When did Nehemiah lose it because his kids left the garbage out? It wasn't his kids. Uh, but... In the history of God's people, specifically in the time of Nehemiah, we talked about, you guys uh, can probably remember the name of the three stooges by now, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. These are the three men who worked harder than anyone else, it seems, other than Satan himself, uh, to work against 
what Nehemiah was called by God to do. They were vocal, they were the active critics, um, and they were so critical and they made so many threats that finally Nehemiah had to have the workers on the wall arm themselves with spears, swords, and shields, men, women, and children, ready to fight at a moment's notice because these three men had stirred up so many lies and had stirred up so much accusation against them. Uh, there was a real threat from real armies at all times while they were trying to do the work that God had called them to. And um, they did use every trick in the book. They were sneaky. They were, um, they were irrational. They were all kinds of things. And, and, and this gets a little crazy for me. I mean, here's the thing to keep in mind, that whenever God is doing something, whenever his will is activated, ultimately it's for the good of people. And even though there might be setbacks because God is doing something, you know, he, he humbles the proud, that kind of a thing. And even though there's, there's these setbacks that we encounter, it's because God is actually doing something really, really good for all of us. And this was also true for the, the region that they were living in. The region of Jerusalem at this time had been devastated. The walls were torn down. The center for commerce was gone. The economy was suffering. You can just imagine all the things because what once was a great city is now really laying in ruins and it's kind of desolate. And uh, one of the problems, in fact, they had after Nehemiah built the wall, which we're going to talk about in the last session, was everybody wanted to trade again, and they were ignoring the, the Sabbath. They were, they were not honoring the law of rest any longer, and so Nehemiah had to deal with that. But before we get to that place, here's what Nehemiah had to do with. He, uh, Nehemiah had to leave and go back to the king, to Artaxerxes, in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes' reign, he had to leave, go back to the king. And then he heard about some things that were happening in Jerusalem, so he had to go back there. And we're going to pick up the story in, in Nehemiah 13, and, uh, and I, want you to, I want you to catch this. Now remember, um, we have Sambalat, who is a Moabite, Geshem, who is an Arab, and Tobiah, who is an Ammonite. And these nations have a long series of fighting, a long history of fighting with Israel. Uh, they've been, uh, they have all at different times enslaved the people of Israel and hauled them away into captivity. And so let's just, let's just read a little bit here so that we have the context of Scripture as we continue uh, the preach this morning. So Nehemiah 13, verse 1, it says, on, the day, the, on that day they read aloud from the book of Moses, in hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Now, hit pause. You remember the story of Balaam, who was a prophet of God, who, who uh, the king tried to hire to come and curse the Israelites, and then he wouldn't do it, but then he kind of thought about doing it, and so he went to ride back to the king, and the uh, angel of the Lord stood there to kill him, and Balaam's donkey started talking to him and said, listen, stop beating me. I'm trying to save your life, you idiot. Now, now if you don't know that story, one of the greatest reads of the Old Testament, it's so fun, because... You can always know that when God's willing to use a donkey, he's definitely going to be willing to use you, right? It's, it's a true story. That's the Balaam we're talking about. However, it says, our God turned that curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now, prior to this, Eliashib, the, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God, being related to Tobiah. He's related to Tobiah had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. 
But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me. Now, I, this is where I just love Nehemiah so much. Because I feel like for dads everywhere, it gives us a certain permission just to, just to go a little bit jungle on people in our household. Okay, so this was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. How many dads secretly in your heart? Right? Come on, some of you know this. is. It would feel so good, right? Just the kid comes home from school one day, and all of his stuff is on the lawn because he didn't clean his room. I just, I just think, wow, what an opportunity. So this is Nehemiah. It was displeasing. And I think the Bible is being quite polite as it usually is in its language. I, I think that if you read the, the Pastor Trav's reliable version of the Bible, it would probably be something like, Nehemiah lost his flippin' mind and threw everything that Tobiah owned on the lawn and burned it. Right? It, it was like, it was like, it wasn't just displeasing. And I'm going to talk to you about why I know it wasn't just displeasing in a moment. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. So here is where this is so offside. And maybe you can see it. Maybe you don't see it right away. Hopefully you'll see it by the end of the preach. But Tobiah was the one who had worked more diligently than all the others against Nehemiah. This was like not a frenemy thing. This was like if you took my gravest enemy, the person who had tried to kill me, the person who had tried to submarine ministry, the person who had gossiped, the person who had slandered and lied about me, and then put them in my house right next to my bedroom. That's the, that's the level of, of what the heck is going on here that we're talking about. And Nehemiah is, this is why I say Nehemiah is more than just a little displeased. He's given his life to this mission, and now he finds out that Tobiah, the guy that is probably the enemy of enemies in Nehemiah's lifetime, has been given a place of honor in the house of God. Not just, not just is he permitted to show up, which he really wasn't allowed to show up, but they had actually given him permission to store his stuff at church. Not just at church, but in a very important and a very significant place, which was the specific place that was housing all of the offerings and all of the things that, were, that should have been most important to the people of God in terms of what they were contributing to the kingdom. Tobiah is allowed to have his stuff in there. He's allowed to take up that space. It's a place of honor for him. Now, surely you can see some of the problems already starting to emerge. Like, why is an outsider, someone who is not of faith, someone who is actually a, a godless heathen, someone who is working against the kingdom of God so much, why is he allowed a place of honor in the house of God? Well, naturally, you can probably agree that he shouldn't be allowed there. And it's, 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 it's frustrating to me even that as we can apply this to today where we see this creeping into the lives of people all the time. The place where the tithe was supposed to come in was being occupied by Tobiah. The place where, where, where they were supposed to store the special offerings, that place was being occupied by an enemy of God. In the house of God. When they would try to bring their 
their, their sacrifices, when they would bring their the precious metals, when they would bring the different things that God had blessed them with, and he put it, they would go to bring it to the house, and there was no place in the house of God to keep it because Tobiah had his household goods in there. Anybody see a problem with this? Or is it just me? I mean, put yourself in my shoes. Put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. Tell me that you wouldn't lose it maybe just a little. Just a little. Not your salvation, but a bit of it maybe. Sometimes we got to go to war. See, there's a problem when there's a Tobiah in the house of God. There's a problem when the enemy is permitted inside the house. Wouldn't there be a problem in your home if you permitted the enemy to come into your home? I mean, there are terrible, terrible things that go on in this world. Rapes and murders. Can you imagine for a second you saying, hey, no problem. I know you've done all these things in the past. And you haven't shown any change whatsoever. You're still the same person. And so I'm going to let you sleep right next to my wife and children. Not one of us would do that, man. Would we? We wouldn't tolerate that. And yet somehow Eliashib, the high priest, has not gotten the memo that this guy Tobiah is not on the side of God. He's not on the side of good in this case. I can't even imagine how truly frustrated, not just was displeased, but truly frustrated this must have been for Nehemiah, that the utensils of worship. Now, I don't know if you, if you noticed that, but the, the utensils of worship for the house of God were mixed in with Tobiah's belongings. You, know, you understand this, that Tobiah could come and go as he pleased. It was like his little apartment to the side. And he was actually using the, temp, the, the, the temple instruments, the things that were dedicated to the service of God in the temple. They were in his personal now quarters for his personal use. Guys, this is, this is profanity at an insane level. Profanity. He is profaning the utensils. He is profaning the sacrifices. He is pro profaning the tithe. He's profaning all these things that should belong to God. And he is absolutely an enemy of everything God's people stand for. Can I just ask you this morning a really pointed question? Is there a chance you have a Tobiah living in your household? Is there a chance you have a Tobiah a Tobiah that's somehow occupying space in your temple. And I think that the answer is, if we're going to be completely honest, of course, is, well, yeah, it's possible. And, and not only is it possible, it's probably likely. We just don't think about it in these terms. We don't think about the profanity of the enemy of God getting to have a place of residence in the kingdom of God. What should be in our lives is the things that belong to the Lord or of the Lord. The offerings, the finances, the sacrifices, the means to serve. And in the case of Nehemiah, all of those things were being replaced by the common household items of a man who has no interest in serving God whatsoever. 
So what does the inner room of our temple look like, our heart? What is it? We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are, we are the resting place. Where is the house you could build for me is what God asks people. And can you imagine for a moment in the inner room of my heart as the temple of the Holy Spirit, in the inner rooms of your heart, that there would be a place for someone like Tobiah to just take up residence, to do what they want when they want. To, to take that which belongs to the Lord and say, I'm going to use it for my own purposes. Now, this is why I warned you at the beginning that this might be a, a tough preach. It might be a tough message for some people this morning. I want you to know it's okay. And by the time we get to the end of this, it's such a simple, simple thing that God offers us. But what are the inner rooms of our temple looking like? What does the heart look like? It's one thing to have all your own crap in there, Right? I mean, it's one thing if I choose to come home into my own house and take my pants off as I come in the door and kick one sock off here and kick one sock off there, and I know it does annoy my wife, and I've reformed myself from this behavior, mostly, sometimes. It's one thing if it's my own crap in the house, but why would we let someone else's stuff be there? And this is the insanity of this picture we see in Nehemiah 13. It's absolute insanity to me. It'd be one thing if the people were kind of messing things up on their own terms and bringing their own mess and leaving it. But no, this is, this is something far beyond that. A place that should be reserved for the offering of the Lord is now filled with the belongings of an enemy. You see, in a principle here, I'd like you to understand that there is always a spirit behind the man. Always. Tobiah is Tobiah. Maybe... Maybe his parents didn't hug him enough as a kid. Maybe his puppy died in a freak chariot puppy accident that made him a twisted, wretched human being. I don't know what his story was. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of backstory other than that we know he was a Moabite. He was raised in a culture that was very, very much opposite to what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like. We don't really understand why he worked so hard against them, but we can understand this. Whenever you see a human being set themselves up against the kingdom of God, because just understand for a moment how ironically stupid that is. Well, my name's Ed Deeth, and I'm going to single-handedly stop God from doing what God wants to do. Now, I used Ed Deeth as the example because obviously Ed Deeth would never, ever do that. But can you imagine a mortal man standing in front of the Almighty and saying, I'm going to stop you dead in your tracks? See, mortal men don't really get to do that to God. But there are spirits in this world that absolutely behave that way. And so whenever you encounter someone who is screaming, yelling, who is doing the exact opposite of what the rules of God's kingdom say they should do, I'd like you to always remember there's a spirit behind that person. There really is. The Bible talks lots in the New Testament about what happens. The God of this world has blinded their eyes so they can't see. That's one thing that happens all the time. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but divine for the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds that are spiritual strongholds, not physical strongholds. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual powers in heavenly places. See, the New Testament speaks to the spiritual reality of the battle all the time. And I need you to understand this morning, there's a spirit behind Tobiah. And I'm just, because I don't have anything else to call it, we'll call it a Tobiah spirit. And I'm not making a doctrinal statement. I'm not trying to create something that should have been canonized. I just don't know what else to call it other than there's a Tobiah spirit. 
What would blind people to allow this to happen? Spirit would. What would cause people to behave in such an opposite way to what God so clearly says? Well, a spirit would because that's what demonic spirits do. They try to confuse and they try to, uh, they, they, they try to, they try to bring chaos where God says there should be order. There's a spiritual reality to everything going on around us. There is always a spirit behind the enemy of God. Now, he remember this. He's a defeated enemy. He's a crushed enemy, and it's true today because Jesus overcame sin and death at the cross. But it was true back in this time as well because why? Nehemiah built the wall. It was over. It was done. Jerusalem restored. The wall rebuilt. The temple back in operation. People of God returning back from exile. The battle was over, and yet Tobiah is permitted to exist right in the middle of everything God is doing. Are you seeing the problem? Someone gave place for that spirit to be there. Someone gave permission for that to happen. And it's always the case, too. It's permitted by a leader or someone who is supposed to be leading. Whether it's a pastor in a church or an owner in a business or a parent in a family, the leader of a group. See, And I just want to talk to some of the men in our church for a moment this morning. Guys, when you abdicate your role as leader, as king and priest unto God in your life, this is what happens. The enemy gets to come in. The spirit of the enemy gets to come in and gets to take up residence in that which God has declared holy. Because somebody gave allowance for it. Well, because we're related. We've got history together. It's funny how many things human beings permit because of the history we have with it. When it's that exact same history that God is delivering us from. It's funny to me. In a really sad kind of way. Church, there's things that I will not permit in our church because it would profane what God is doing. Well, I want to do this, or I want to say this, or I want to be this, or I want, I want, I'm not bothered by what you want. I'm deeply concerned with what God wants, and I'm afraid of what I want. And once you lead for a little while, you'll understand exactly what that means. Because we do not want to find ourselves in a place where we are profaning that which God has consecrated and made holy. The things, the utensils, the tools, the opportunities God has put in our hands for his work, for his pleasure, for his glory, are not to be used for common things. places of our heart as we are temples of the living God are consecrated and set apart as holy places not for common household items 
and especially those of the other camp. There's certain things I won't permit in church, and sometimes it looks like, well, it's a cultural battle. And you might even think sometimes, why are they so, so stuck on this, this word culture? Because culture is one of the most powerful influences community has. That's why. And there is a heavenly culture that we are contending for. Not a Canadian culture, not an earthly culture. We're trying to understand the kingdom of heaven and pull that kingdom of heaven down so that people's lives can be changed. And there is no compromising in that. Some people might think that it's mean or it's cruel or it's short-sighted or ill-tempered even sometimes when they look at the things we permit and don't permit. But as, you, as parents, you know there's certain things you shouldn't allow in your home, right? There are things not allowed in your home. I hope there's standards. I hope there's standards for what video games get played and even what music gets listened to. There should be standards. But listen, that's, this is what drives me nuts. I, I owe, Here's, here's where the line is that we're trying to find. We're trying to make sure we permit the things that allow us to serve God more and better, and we're trying to limit the things that take away from that. That's where the line is, okay? And it's a relatively um, unclear line at times. But that's where, that's where our intent is. And I hope this is where your intent is as parents and as business owners and as, as people of Generations Church, that, that we understand that there are things that allow us to be more like Jesus and be more conformed to his image, and there are things that take away from that. The things that take away from that are bad, and the things that allow us to be conformed to the image of his son are good. Okay, are you with me? I, I hate to simplify it so much because I think you're intelligent people, but let's just simplify it to this level. It is, those are the two camps we have. Those are the two realities that we have to live in. And I think it's insane because the devil gets religious people running around in circles talking about how evil Pokemon are. I don't, I don't even know what Pokemon really are. I don't even know if they're a thing other than a few years ago the video game came out and I know people were getting hit by cars. Because I, I don't even have words for how stupid that is. But listen, we got to break it down to this. When it comes to the temple of the Holy Spirit, that's me, that's you. There are things that are permissible. There are things that are not permissible. Those things which conform us to the likeness of Jesus are permissible. They are good. They are beneficial. Those things that prevent you from conforming to the likeness to the image of Jesus are bad. That's it. Yeah, but I really want to talk about Pokemon. We're not talking about Pokemon anymore we got to move on from the potential and the possibly hazardous to honing in on what really is the intent. What really are we going after here? You cannot allow that which God has called holy to be profaned by the, by the chattel of the enemy. The things you shouldn't allow in your home are the things that rob your family of its ability to serve God. And yeah, Pokemon might be on the list or whatever the newest Japanese toy cartoon slash weird whatever it is. I don't even know. 
I'm sorry, I wear square-toed cowboy boots and plaid most Sundays. I don't know what's hip and cool in the world of children's games. I, I just don't. But what I do know is the things that have eternal value ought to be the things that are most important to you and I. And those are the things we ought to pursue. The things that rob us, that rob our families from our ability to serve and love God are on the bad side. And the things that give us freedom to serve and love God are on the side of what's good. The things that directly hinder my service and my sacrifice and my ability to serve and to sacrifice to God. Those things are a problem for the kingdom of God. But those things that allow me to serve more freely, those things that allow me to serve more clearly, those things that allowed me to give generously, see, those things are good. They serve the kingdom of God properly. And there's, there's this old saying, if you've been around for a while, that I don't know if other people used it before us probably, but we've been preaching this for 16, 17 years now. Yes means no. Whatever you say yes to in this life means you're going to have to inevitably say no to many other things. And when you say yes to this with $100, that $100 is gone and it is spent on what you said yes to. And so anything else that wants to come for that $100, the answer is what? No, that $100 is gone. We, we gave it. We did something with it. We spent it. We used it. This is true of your virtue. This is true of your time. This is true of your energy, your emotions, your mental capacity, your intellect, your gifting and your calling. All of it is still true for each one of us in all of these areas. What we say yes to means we say no to other things. And when the kingdom of God says yes to a spirit of Tobiah, there's no room for the offering. There's no room for the tithe. There's no room for the sacrifices that would please the Lord to exist in the house of God. All because we said, well, it's no big deal to buy. You can keep your stuff here. None of us would let this happen if it were spelled out like this story is spelled out. And yet I fear we let it happen all the time. And here's what that leads to. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Worship team, you can come back. <laughs> See, here's what it leads to. When a Tobias spirit occupies the sacred places of a person's life, or a church's heart, or a family, or a business, or you, I mean, you name it. There's immediate fallout that begins to show up. There's immediate downstream activity that begins to happen. Here's what happened in Nehemiah 13. So he discovers that when he comes back, that Tobiah's personal belongings are profaning the house of God. That Tobiah is somehow now allowed to use the utensils that are built in ceremony that are sanctified, ritually sanctified for use in the temple, is being used by this Moabite who doesn't even serve the Lord. Here's the downstream thing that happens, Nehemiah 13, 10 to 14. So then I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. Again, into the place where Tobiah had been allowed to reign and live. 
And in charge of the storehouses I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padaiah of the Levites. And in addition to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mattaniah. And they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God. And do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of God and its services. Here's the fact. It's not just that we profane the house of God and we profane the temple and we profane that which Jesus did for us when we make room for a spirit like a Tobiah spirit to get to exist and, and take up residence in, an, in us or around us. The, the downstream effect is this. Giving stops. Generosity ceases to flow. And then those people who are responsible for leading our lives begin to starve. And this little piece of history right here that I just read to you about the Levites all having to leave the temple and go work their own fields. It's not the first time it happened. But every time it did happen, the same thing would be the result. Levites, the church, the temple is not taken care of. Everybody who used to work there, served there, now goes to work their own fields and there's no one teaching. And there's no one praying. And there's no one leading worship. And there's no one doing the work of offering the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And as the culture of the kingdom then breaks down, the people begin to fall into sin. This is the result. When leaders make provision for the enemy to dwell in the house of God and in the things that God has called his, the people in the end will suffer. And I hope that this, at this point in our service today, that you're like, please stop punching me in the face, Pastor Trapp. I get it. I understand it. I know it. And just permit me to go just a little farther with you. Because I wouldn't want you to leave this place with a sting on your face or feeling bruised or beat up. I just want to ask you a few questions. And I want to share the good news of Jesus with you once again. So whose trash is taking up space in your life, space that belongs to the Lord? Whose trash? Is it your parents' trash? Is it your, is it your old life? Is it trash from that that's sitting in the place that God has now called holy? Because God has called each one of you holy. He has made you holy by Jesus' work at the cross. And so you might have childhood wounding. You might have crazy, weird family history. Are you going to let it sit in your life and profane that which God has called holy? I don't think you should. And I hope that you won't. But it's a fair question. Whose trash is taking up space in your temple? How about this? What common things are in your life that are taking up space or they're taking up time or opportunity that should be given to holy things? It's a really important question. What common things are in your life taking up the space of holy things? What common things are robbing from what is holy? Let me ask you, why do you let something that has tried to kill you occupy a space in the heart that is supposed to be safe and life-giving. Why? Why would we do that? Why would I let that which tried to kill me, why would I let death try to live in a place where life now reigns? 
mean, are you really going to let it stay and work against what God is doing? Because God will not be mocked and God will not be slowed down and God will not be limited in his power because of what you and I do. And then you might come to the place where you wonder, like I often have to do, how can I know, God, what is in my life right now? Like, like really, Holy Spirit, how can I know what the difference between what is common and what is holy in? My life is an absolute gong show. It's a mess. My finances are upside down. Everything I put my hand to seems to, seems to be crumbling and failing. God, I don't even know where to start. You're in good company if that's you. You're in the company of myself and many people like me. You're in the company of some of the greatest men and women that are written about in Scripture. Here's the reality. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And this is what the psalmist writes. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He knows. God knows what's in your life that would profane what he has called holy. God knows what's in your life that is holding you back from the future that he is conforming you to. He, he knows. If you would go on and read the whole chapter of Psalm 139, you'll find it says it over and over again that God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that's in you. He knows everything that you're thinking about before you can even talk about it. He knows. Now this is where it gets so wonderful to me. I just want us to read this last little part real quick. See, you're made to be the house to hold the manifest presence of God in your life. There can't be room for trash. There can't be room for the wrong people to be in you and in your life. And he does know us for good and for bad. But, but listen to this part now, Psalm 139. It says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold the Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. I told you there was good news at the end of this message. And let me tell you what the good news is. That in spite of your anxious thoughts, in spite of God knowing all your ways, the ones you think no one else knows about, that he knows, he knows the path you take. He, he knows the foot trail. To, to God, your life and my life are strewn with the pathways that we habitually take, just like cow tracks on a pasture. It's, the, the groove is worn into the ground, if you've ever seen that. And God knows your ways, and yet, here's the amazing thing. When we come to verse 5, you have enclosed me behind and before, and you still lay your hand on me. Child of God, this is an amazing thing for you and I this morning. No matter what our history is, no matter what our past is, no matter where we walked into church today with our issues, with our sin, with our frustration, with the things that are profaning what should be holy in our lives, God knew all that already, and yet he still comes to us today to put the hand of anointing on our head and say, no matter what, you're my son, and I love you. You're my daughter, and I appreciate you.
This is an amazing God we serve. Now there is an issue still if we think we can just leave the place. Well, pastor said God put his hand on me still. I guess I can walk out of here today. No problem. You can't. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. And it's because of his kindness that even though we have profaned holy things, that he still says, come here, son. And my friend, the kindness of God compels you this morning. The kindness of God revealed in Jesus coming to the cross for you and I. That kindness compels us to say, Lord, whatever I got, I want you to have. Whatever is worth something in me, whatever is worthless in me, Lord, I want you to have it. Because he's a God who makes broken things beautiful. He's a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He is the God who says, I no longer call you my servants, but I've called you my friends. He's the one who when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you might be sitting here this morning and maybe the first thing is this, you actually don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to come to God except through the man, Jesus Christ. And those are the words of Jesus, no one else's. Those are, that's his claim and his claim alone. And I want so badly, this church family wants so badly for every single person here watching online to have that relationship with God. Because you were made for it. God designed you, he built you, he fitted you all together for a relationship with him that will bring you to a place in your life you could have never dreamed about. It's not easy. It's really, really hard. But it is worth it. So if that's you this morning, if you don't have that relationship, Man, I'd love to talk with you about it. One of our members of our prayer team would love to talk with you about that. What it looks like to become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And then you might be sitting here this morning brokenhearted. You might feel like everything in your life is being laid low. You might hear a message like this today and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy saying, Oh, you messed it up too bad. There is no messing it up too bad. In fact, God wants to take your, your weakness this morning and reveal his strength in it to you. And so whatever our issue might be, we're going to sing one last song. And just like always, we're going to invite you to come for prayer. And I hope you come for prayer today. I hope you come for prayer because there is, just across this line at the front of this gym this morning, it's, it's like a, I don't know how else to describe it, it's like a swimming pool of God's grace. There's grace for us when we're weak. There's grace for us when we're broken. There's God's grace for us when we know that we've fallen short. So if you're brave enough to come this morning, come and let, it, let someone pray with you. Maybe there's sickness in your body. Maybe there's brokenness in your family. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Whatever. Let someone come. Let someone loan you a little faith. Let someone stand with you in prayer this morning. So now we're going to stand together. I just want you to, as we, as we begin to sing this song, I want you to ask God the question. 
Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I just heard? Because I don't want you to do something based on what I told you. I sure hope that the Holy Spirit speaks to you through what you hear here on Sunday mornings. But the most valuable thing that happens today in this place is that you get to hear from God. So let's just ask Him together and then we're going to sing this last song. Father, I open my ears to what you might say to me this morning. Holy Spirit, I'd like you to put your finger on anything that you want to this morning in me. To search me, to try me, to know me, to test my anxious thoughts so that you can lead me in righteousness and in the way of life everlasting. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.